visit the Downtown Den, join us through our website, all the W's, downtowninbusiness.com. Stay in, stay safe, visit the Downtown Den. So very pleased to have you along. Kim uh, Cassidy, you're uh, academic, Edgill University, do a lot around high streets. We've got Joe Barrett uh, with us, who's on the government's high street task force, I think I'm right in saying. Yep. Doing a lot around teenage markets in Stockport and Foodie Friday, which I think we'll talk about. And we're joined by uh, Matt Baker, who's been on the Grimsey Review, as, a, as well as Kim. Uh, but you've also been doing some work with the local government association around high streets, and you're currently working on uh, York City Council's high street strategy. So we're going to have a conversation. Their consultation, yeah. Sorry? Their consultation, yeah. Their consultation, yeah, thanks. Uh, so we're going to have a conversation about high streets. Well, let's kick it off. What's the impact of the coronavirus, do you think, in terms of high streets? Kim, do you want to go first and we'll, we'll work along? Okay, yeah. Well, I think um, clearly it's had an impact. My area is consumer behaviour, particularly, and how we behave in the high streets. So um, I think some of the things that are pe people are thinking a lot more about what's important to them. Yes. Um, and I think when this is all over, people will value um, things much more like the community sense of being part of a community, which right. is very hard to get virtually. You know, yeah. We can be, but it's not the same as uh, the human interaction, which I think is very important. And for me, um, that was something which was has been starting in town centres and high streets. And I think that will be the importance of that will be increasing. Yeah. Um, so I think people also are thinking about the goods and services that they are buying. And particularly, I've heard it called the instrumental, the idea that the value of whatever they're buying much more in terms of, um, is this going to last a long time? What sort of quality is this? So I think that's going to be important. Um, the other things that I thought, the value of an, the experiential, the experience, I think, again, that's linked to um, being part of the, being human, wanting something that taps into our emotions much more, yes. you know, because we can see we can do things offline, but it's not tapping into our emotional uh, interest as much. So I think that those are things, and um, obviously the, um, the Foodie Friday and that is very much about emotions sensors and i think there'll be more of that which was actually coming through before the virus so i think it's going to sort of reinforce some of the trends or the things that we see in the high street before before it happened actually so it might accelerate some of the, the virus might so. accelerate some of what was developing on the high street you think absolutely and i think i know matt's got some views on the digital you know the speed of digital transformation in the high street and i think that's going to be increase at a faster rate probably than it has done today yeah. well let, let's bring matt in what, what's your view matt uh, acceleration of what was developing anyway yes um i think it will i think there are there, there are two main points where i feel we'll, we'll see significant changes i think the first is we're going to see a rapid move now towards digital transformation i think as millions of people are now working at home and shopping online and earlier this week we saw uh, shopping online exceed normal kind of spending for the first time and i think we're going to see a lot of digital habits harden during the coronavirus sort of um, lockdown so I think um, when we return to normal, you know, whenever that is, 
I think we'll see uh, more consumers continuing that sort of digital spending pattern. And I think that shops and towns and places that don't have a, a sort of significant digital maturity will be left behind. What does that mean? It, need, it means that businesses need to have sort of EPOS integrated digital systems. It needs to be sort of seamless across all their channels and they need to be communicating uh, to customers in, in, in real time, um, you know, with, with offers, they need to be capturing data on basket spend, they need to have a much better understanding of who their customers are. So they need to really employ all the sort of digital tools. The second thing will be, I, I think, as Kim has alluded to, we're going to see uh, a, a bigger growth in the, the experience economy. We were already seeing that beforehand. Um, leisure was particularly strong in the UK. I think we're forecast to be spending something like 100, over 120 billion, the UK was on leisure by 2023. Um, and I think as we come out of lockdown, humans are very sort of social creatures and we're gonna want more of that community experience, whether that's in kind of food halls, in pubs and restaurants, open plazas, you know, music, all of that, I think that, that will grow as there's a, mm -hmm. a need to connect with that community experience. So I think we'll see more of that. But I think we also need to warn that there's going to be, um, some really difficult times ahead for high streets. Mm. Um, before the lockdown, consumer confidence was very low anyway. I mean, at the end of 2019, it was the lowest in six years. After the general election, it went up a little bit. And um, yesterday, we saw the consumer confidence index show it's dropped back down two points. So I think consumer confidence is going to be very weak. And um, we're going to see a lot of towns really struggle, particularly the secondary locations those places where they rely a lot on kind of low paid service economy jobs, many of which may go. I mean, earlier today it was reported that um, a fifth of small businesses are at risk of collapse. So I think it is going to be very difficult times. Um, you know, people see the high street, often government does, I think, as quite a sort of parochial issue. But I, I think they need to take, you know, much more seriously. There was um, a poll by the UPP Foundation last month which asked people what their most important local issue was. And the high street polled at 48% on the same as uh, the NHS. It was only housing that was more important. So I think it is an absolutely critical issue and government must think long and hard and particularly local government as well about how they start planning to come through this crisis. Okay, let's come back to that. Joe, you, you've got lots of practical experience on this and I know you've been doing stuff around Stepping Hill Hospital in response to the coronavirus. Tell us a bit about that, but also share your view on the virus and its impact on high streets more generally, please. Well, its immediate impact on us has been, and we, we organise Foodie Friday, and for those that don't know, Foodie Friday is a monthly street food event that takes place at Stockport Market and the surrounding area of the Old Town. Uh, once a month on the last Friday of the month and we bring about 15 to 20 street food traders together that uh, we open the market in the evening uh, we have traders opening uh, selling a range of goods in there and all the bars uh, and the new bars around the marketplace all benefit from the additional footfall that we bring as part of um, as part of the event every month um, the estimated um, you know economic uh, impact that Foodie Friday has uh, when it's running uh, a year we estimate uh, to be around about it's hard to estimate these things but around about you know it could be as much as uh, half a million pounds a year in terms of additional um, income that it generates for the town center um, so the cancellation of an event like that obviously is going to have a huge economic impact on the town um, 
not only obviously for uh, our street food traders who are now not able to trade uh, at any outdoor events, but also uh, for all those uh, bars as well and bars and restaurants in the town centre and the market traders. So we've been thinking, uh, how can we respond in a way that supports our community of street food traders, um, but also does some good for the community as well. And so this idea of uh, effectively providing free meals to the NHS was floated one of our uh, traders, it was a coffee trader actually, who, who trades at um, Marple Station, uh, was approached by people who were wanting to uh, pass on uh, to pay forward uh, coffee for NHS workers. And she approached us and said, oh, this idea sounds like you might be able to do something similar with, with the, the street food traders more broadly. So we approached the chief executive of Stockport NHS Foundation Trust and she thought it was a great idea. And so we launched a campaign on Monday to raise £6,000 to provide a free meal to every single NHS worker at Stepin Hill Hospital in Stockport. Uh, in 24 hours, we raised £3,000, over £3,000. So we are, are able to now provide 500 free meals to NHS staff at Stepin Hill. And the aim is to, is to fund £6,000, which will provide a free meal to all the staff at the hospital. Fantastic. And, and that's, that's a really good practical uh, solution. And what, what's your broader view in terms of coronavirus and the impact in the medium to short term? Well, 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 sort of talking about Matt's point there about the digital economy. I mean, I saw a thing again, we've seen all these surveys come out, a survey of, of companies across um, many different countries and uh, around 40% of them said that they were accelerating um, the approach to automation. And so I don't think as, as much as we're hoping that things return back to normal. Mm. I don't think we'll, we'll really have normality in the way that we perceived it again. Um, I think there will be huge significant shifts in the way companies operate. Many large employers won't want to have to face the fact of, you know, being able to completely grind to a halt as a result of a, as a health pandemic. And if they can automate or accelerate the process of automation more broadly, um, they'll look at the economic impact that that will have moving forward and, and, we'll, and we'll probably move towards that. What that means for our town centers and our high streets, um, you know, we're seeing Amazon invest a lot of money in these Amazon Go stores uh, in America. Uh, they're rolling out 3,000 across the US with plans to open even bigger stores. It's likely that we'll see Asda with the Walmart connections probably do something very similar. I mean, I've been sort of in and around the community of, of sort of high streets and town centers for the past 10 years now. And people have spoken a lot about this sort of slow creeping towards automation of especially of our major retail stores. And we've seen that bit by bit kind of over the last 10 years. If you wind back 10 years, you're probably getting one or two self-service checkouts in a supermarket you know, now a lot of the time you'll see most of the checkouts are, are, are that way. And so we are moving to a, a, a sort of a, an ecosystem where the uh, employees are, 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 I think, considered to be less and less, um, you know, relied upon if technology can replace them. And so we're seeing that also provides an opportunity for the experiential economy, as, um, as Matt and Kim both alluded to, because while if we're having these interactions where, 
we are not coming face to face with human beings on our day-to-day interactions um, the the need to socialize is becoming a, a, a more and more of a of, of a demand for us and so mm-hmm. There's an opportunity there for, as Matt said, whether they be markets, food halls, places of gathering in town centres, um, to really focus on building those community hubs for people. And I think town centres should be looking towards that that model moving forward. Yeah, and I, I think just to add to that point, I think about this uh, the the local idea of what we have, valuing what we have locally, I think is going to be very important. I know Matt's got some good stats on homeworking, but I'm thinking the sort of heritage and the you know, people, we're very lucky here, we can actually go out into the country. As I know in Spain, it's very difficult to actually get out into any green space. But I think people won't forget the space they've seen or the the value of the locals. So I think there's a lot a strong link between, and that was happening before, retailers linking much more to heritage of a place and what, what's special about my place. And I hope, actually, personally, I, think, I hope whether we can reinforce that and that will move forward. But, uh, Okay, and ju- just stay on with this just for a couple of seconds. There's been lots of debate about uh, uh, this is about behaviour and the virus before we move on from that, but about heroes and villains in terms of mm. some of the large corporates, whether it's Sports Direct mm. or my problems with EasyJet or whatever they might be. What impact do you think that will have? Will it be temporary? Will be people? Will people be fed up with Sports Direct? And, uh, some heroes as well. Leon restaurants have been really positive. Any examples of that? Um, will it have any impact on those businesses, do you think? I personally think so, yeah. I think people won't forget, particularly, um, I think consumers are interested in, not necessarily that the retailers might not be paying their rents or whatever, but they're interested in how they're dealing with people. And and uh, we think we've seen that we are all people and we are all, often a lot of us, employees in a retail organisation. So how retailers are handling the people in their business, I think, is is smacking consumers a lot more in the face, and I think that won't um, go, you know, go away very quickly. I think they'll that will hang it hang on in there, and how we're dealing with that. So I think uh, retailers need to be um, very careful about about that and the long term impact that might have on their image. Mm, interesting. And a quick, a quick pa- oh, sorry, a, a quick yeah. counterpoint to that, Kim. It, it, just yeah. to say that I think for those retailers that have market dominance, especially geographically, yeah. um, a lot of them then there's a question of whether or not consumers actually do have choice in, in this matter um mm. for those brands like um mns who are who are offering to uh, i think we mentioned sort of the idea of paying 15 percent more to their staff it's going to be something where if you're looking to i suppose comparison shop you might go actually mns did a good thing there so i'm yeah. going to shop there there are some places where literally you know if you you know if you're if, say an asda supermarket is the only asda for miles around that's the only choice that you might have and the same goes for, for, for Amazon from a market dominance point of view. So as much as we'll, we'll see brands that are trying to, I suppose, increase that sense of corporate social <coughs> responsibility, mm. you've also got this fundamental issue, maybe more broadly with our economy, where actually these retailers have such a market dominance that it doesn't really matter in terms of how they practice if, they can, if they've already got control of that market itself. So that's the other, I suppose, counterpoint to mm-hmm. differentiate yourself. Can I ask Joe, Joe, do you think there might be a generational difference on this? I mean, we we know from kind of research and surveys, I mean, I think the Adelman Global Survey points out that, you know, Gen Zs in particular really value that kind of social purpose. You know, there's a a sort of growing sense amongst the younger generation that business has to be a force for good and they will spend accordingly. But 
how many Gen Zs, for example, drink at Weatherspoons? I don't know. I mean, you know, will it affect their business? Yeah, it's a really good point, and that, and that comes back to it. I mean, how many, how many people, and I, mean, I don't know this, you know, will care about Tim Martin's practices? I don't know. How many people will go there because it's, it's, it's the cheapest option, and he has such market dominance in town centres that after this crisis, people will flock back there. I think, there are, I think, that, I think you're right that there might be a sense of a generational uh, shift. Uh, I think that younger people more broadly... Um, a, we don't have as probably much as disposable income anyway. So when we're prioritizing, um, you know, in terms of the experiential economy above and beyond just buying, I suppose, products. Um, so yeah, there is, there is definitely a, potentially a generational, generational sort of shift between how certain uh, generations view the, say, the acts of, um, you know, as we talked about before, Sports Direct and Mike Ashley or, or, or Tim Martin for that matter. And, uh, but we'll see whether or not it has an impact on their business mm. moving forward. You know, it was interesting. Mike actually did come out with a response very quickly after I think he saw a backlash on social media. Yeah. I'd say driven maybe that would definitely be maybe by a younger demographic um, to, to, his, to, to his, the way that he's behaving. So definitely the pressure can be put onto these people who aren't necessarily showing that they value um, their, 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 their customer base uh, or their worker, sorry. Um, the similar thing happened with uh, Richard Branson and the uh, you know Virgin Atlantic. It was the same same sort of situation, same backlash on social media. Let, let me move on. Uh, local authorities, you, 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 let me come to you, Matt, and but you've all played a part in this. But what role for local authorities, local councils, can they affect the high street, or is it just a national issue? No, I think local authorities have a critical role, but I think it's obviously important that governments empower them more. And obviously we've seen the uh, local government minister that's been moving quite swiftly in this crisis to relax planning rules, etc. I think there's calls on him at the moment to uh, continue that because um, councils can't really exact planning decisions at the moment, enact planning decisions at the moment because councillors can't meet. So there's a, there's a need to kind of go further in that. But ultimately I want to see local authorities return to uh, having a, a sort of role as, as custodians of place. Mm. And I think, you know, that placemaking role is going to be absolutely critical moving forward. I think, you know, what Kim said about there perhaps being a move towards more of an appreciation of local. Certainly, I, I've seen this in some areas with local authorities I work with. And, and th these are areas where they're often kind of commuter belts, where uh, people get up in the morning and travel to somewhere else to work and come home at night and don't always spend a lot of time in their local town or village or high street. And I think there is now a growing appetite for them to want to do that. Mm -hmm. And there is a need for local authorities to start to kind of define much more of sort of unique, a unique identity for these places. Mm -hmm. You know, they can't be just these kind of beige, vanilla commuter towns. Local people really want to have more of a sense of belonging and identity. We saw the, um, the sort of social capital figures, uh, the, the latest, um, uh, figures by the Office of National Statistics showing there's been a, a fall in people's sense of belonging. And I feel there's a real appetite for people to improve that. Local authorities can do more to achieve that. So bigger emphasis on place, more kind of focus on, on building this identity. I think that's critical. And I, I, I personally think to do that, local authorities need to appreciate the efforts of, of, of people like Joe Moore. You know, I think it's, it's often those kind of slightly kind of left field entrepreneurs who are doing these really important grassroots, in, you know, initiatives that breathe that kind of confidence and start to give place more of an identity. As someone who lives in the Stockport borough, 
I don't think Stockport was too impressive a few years ago. And it's starting to develop more of a character now and with bands like the Blossoms, etc., coming through. It's getting more of a strong identity and it's less as, seems less of a suburb of Manchester and more of a place in its own right. Mm. And there's a need to do more of that. Okay. Just before I bring you in, Kim, uh, I was going to ask you to talk a little bit about the Grimsey Review. For those that don't know, uh, Bill Grimsey, former chief executive of Iceland Foods and uh, chief executive of a number of uh, DIY uh, chains, uh, he set up a review to look at the high street and made a variety of recommendations which he took to government. You were part of that. What, what, what does that tell us about the role of local authorities and local governance? Well, I don't know if Matt wants to, he was part of the review as well, if you want to take yes. that one. But essentially, um, yeah, the one of the main thrusts of the Grimsby review has always been about strong leadership. We went over to Richelair in uh, Belgium and they put together a very strong plan which had five different aspects to it about how um, the idea was it was going to become um, this, uh, an open air food uh, sort of centre um, in the Netherlands. And, and they worked towards all the actions they had, I think they had 50 actions under each of the headings to work towards that. Um, and that was actually driven by the local mayor. But um, So it was about strong leadership, buying into this sort of central plan as far as, every, and getting everybody to sort of take that on board and be part of it, This and stating what the identity is. And my understanding is that the town's funds applications are uh, very much around that, being able to craft towns having to craft their plans and have strong identities which which incorporate their heritage um and the community and the shops and the retail and everything so uh, that was a, a, a strong platform and also bill, bill was very is very passionate and has been about the community hub solution the idea that leisure sits with housing sits with uh, health so bringing health into the high street has always been something that's featured quite heavily in in the research that we did there so um my role essentially within the review was to gather um, examples of, of good practice of where people had implemented the actions recommended in the first review in the second. And really they reinforced a lot of the key messages that he put out in the first review. Um, and these are essentially a lot of the government, stuff that's coming out from government reinforces Bill's original ideas. I mean, Matt, Matt I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, I do. I just add that I think sort of key messages from the Grimsley Review for me was that retail is not going to be the most dominant force on high Absolutely. street moving forward. It won't be the mainstay. And I think we're going to see a lot more retail loss. So obviously, in the last sort of days and weeks, we've seen people like um, Carluccio's, Chiquito, um, Laura Ashley, you know, big national brands fall by the wayside. And, and sadly, I think there'll be more to come. Uh, the community hub thing, I think, is really important. We're going to have to see uh, more high streets, you know, sort of embrace more of a mix of kind of health, culture, leisure, you know, uh, education, all of that. I think the point Kim is about health is interesting because coming out of uh, coronavirus, I, I think the nation's health is going to be in a pretty poor state. Um, you know, there's already jokes about COVID-19 stone and fattening the curve. And I, I think any, any, any area that sort of makes us more active you know, and I love like, you know, certain kind of yoga brands, uh, national ones have got like this exercise outside and all that kind of stuff. Um, more of that, please, because I think uh, we're going to have a sort of a, there's going to be need to be a national effort to get the nation back in shape as well. 
Joe, what's your experience of dealing with Stockport Council, but also the councils where, where you've tried, you can be honest about this, um, um, other councils where you've tried to replicate it or seen others try to replicate what you've been doing? Yeah, just echoing the point there, the role of local authorities is going to be absolutely huge after this crisis. Um, you know, I, I got involved with Stockport um, shortly after the financial crisis of 08. Um, you know, the Porter's Review was was um, was launched shortly after that, almost as a response um, to struggling high streets. Um, and so got involved at that point with a campaign to try and revitalise and, and Re, uh, regenerate in, in effect the, the Stockport's town centre in its, in its old town and we've been successful doing that over the past 10 years. Now the one good thing um, about where we stand right now is the fact that we, we, um, we've got a running start on this. Uh, as you mentioned before you know I'm part of the government's high street task force uh, I'm a sort of delivery partner and board member of that and we've got a you know a group of people involved who are, are looking at the issues right now in terms of evaluating where uh, town centres currently are how they need to move forward and a lot of that is about increasing the capacity for local authorities to make change and you know a big thing that I'm interested in and it will be the hardest thing to evaluate is the culture change that mm -hmm. local authorities go through and we, we are already seeing now quite interesting, exciting new partnerships emerge almost organically as a result of this crisis between community organizations. So, for example, our campaign, you know, as a community organization running a street food event with uh, the NHS, our local NHS Foundation Trust is a good example. You know, those partnerships are key moving forward especially with regards to town centers and high streets and so we need to see more of that facilitation of good partnerships between the public the private and the third sector and if we can if, if this crisis if there's any positive to this crisis if if we can facilitate more of those connections moving forward our town centers will benefit as a result yeah let me just before we're moving towards the end now but uh, and the final question is going to be asking you for your best two or three examples of good practice that you've seen on high streets, or it might be a quirkiness that's drawn people into a particular high street. But before I do that, uh, any any views on technology in high streets? So there's this whole concept around smart cities, uh, around uh, urban transport, electric vehicles, things like this. Uh, what, what's the impact of that sort of thing on high streets? Anybody want to take a, a stab at that? Matt, do you want to have a chat about that? <laughs> well, I think it's it's important that uh, technology, you know, you talked about sort of smart cities there, and I, I think we need more kind of real-time data. So I'd like to see, you know, better kind of measurements so people understand more around kind of public transport and, you know, you know just have a better kind of knowledge of like you know when the buses and the trains and everything are going and sharing all that kind of stuff and more 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 to ease congestion as well uh and help with parking etc ultimately I, I i feel that um towns are going to be sort of remodeled as we move cities particularly in future for the last hundred years they've been designed around the car and in many respects now i feel like the car is just the kind of an accessory to the smartphone and cities now moving forward and towns will be designed around the smartphone. That is how we navigate around cities. That's how we do commerce. That's how we connect with people. That's how we share experiences. So I think that is all still going to be the most important technology here. Interesting. That's interesting. Any, anything else? Or before, or let me ask you, you finally, your two or three uh, smart solutions or good practice that you've seen on higher streets. 
Now, Kim, can you think of anything that you've that's well, particularly caught uh, your attention that you thought? Maybe not necessarily, not necessarily the digital, but I think one of the things that's important for me is that um, we recognise that within a community or within a place, there's lots of people with lots of skills and expertise. So it's how businesses can engage those members of that community and make them feel part of it. So I think it's about actually getting people in to do that. So those businesses, I think, are, I've got a lot of respect for are those that can, can go from offering product to services. So the florist who originally sold the flowers is offering flower arranging classes. Now that in itself, it seems simple, but it's a different business model. And I think it needs a bit of nurturing because people think, well, how do I charge for that? Because it's not, a, you know, it's my skill, which is not a lot, you know, people, they, they undervalue that, but I've seen a lot of that. And I was talking to some uh, butchers actually, and they're thinking how, and this guy was saying he makes a lot out of offering master, master classes in butchery and sort of things. So I think it's, it's, um, thinking about the value of not just the product, but the skills and expertise that businesses have and how you can draw on the local. So I would say that's a really good thing. Okay, thank you. And Joe, besides your own good practice that you've already implemented, any other examples that have caught your attention over the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, the thing that I'm really interested in is uh, the charrette process, which is uh, effectively a planning process, a participatory planning process that involves as many members of the local community as possible in coming to a, uh, I suppose, a final decision about whatever plan for your town centre should be. And, and I think that uh, I've, I've went and visited uh, an architectural practice down in London, JTP, who are, are pioneers really of, of the process in the UK and are working with a number of communities at the minute across the country um, to do that. And again, it comes back to this very simple idea of creating partnerships as many partnerships and relationships and connections with as many members of your local community as possible mm. um again somebody another organization doing great work on that front is civic voice um ian at civic voice is doing a really good job of, of engaging and empowering local community stakeholders um to influence policy making at basically end of the day uh, influencing at the end of the day what kind of town you want mm. to live in mm. and I don't think it should just be um, in the realm of private developers to decide what it, what should a town centre look like because it makes them money. I think we need to sort of re sort of calibrate um, you know our town centres around mainly around you know residents especially uh, thinking about how they can uh, feed into the development of a town centre moving forward. Good thing. And um, Matt, the, la the last word goes to you. Any good practice examples that you want to share? I've got a few, yeah. Firstly, I like Rosaleri because um, there's just really great visible leadership there. The mayor, Chris Clerk, fantastic, really passionate about his high streets and local community. I mean, things like turning car parks into green spaces, converting, you know, disused churches into markets and using his powers to correct a sort of rental market by, you know, finding landlords, keeping properties vacant. He's seen rents come down a lot, which has enabled a lot more local independence to move in. Brilliant work. I'd also cite Bristol, previously under the independent mayor, George Ferguson. It had its car-free weekends. Amazing things happened there. You saw theatre on the streets, sandcastles, children playing, going down slides on streets, water slides. Fantastic stuff. You know, made a much more sort of carnivalesque, fun great atmosphere in, in, in towns, which I think has to be kind of a, you know, a, a really good signpost to the future. Um, two more quickly. York, I like the work of Johnny Hayes, 
uh, on Bishy Road because Definitely. he's forming kind of kind of quite sort of loose informal associations, traders associations, and I think these kind of new groupings are really important. You can't rely always just on things like bids and local authorities or trade associations or, or you know things like the Chamber of Commerce. Sometimes these more smaller dynamic groupings can do really wonderful stuff, and Johnny's shown that. And finally, in Stockton. You know they're doing, yeah. they're, they're really focusing on the, uh, uh, the the council there on on the experience economy and they're demolishing old 1960s shopping centres which frankly are quite redundant and eyesores mm -hmm. and they're creating green spaces and then opening the town up to the river so great work so there's some really good stuff going on and although these are difficult times we we should still celebrate the, the good work that continues to go on. That's great. Let me say thank you very much for that. A thoroughly interesting conversation about high streets. Kim, Joe, Matt, thanks for joining the Downtown Den. Thank you.